Again, a blessed Pentecost to you all, a great celebration in the church here. This is considered the third highest feast of the church here behind Easter, the resurrection of our Lord, and Christmas, the birth of our Lord. So here we gather for Pentecost. I, I would like to joke it's the only day of the year Lutherans are allowed to talk about the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's true, maybe hopefully not. But the reality is when we think about the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit usually is the one we forget about. We talk about the Father who created all things and who sent His only begotten Son. We love to talk about Jesus, who rightly so should be talked about. He is the Son of God who took on flesh, who lived, died, and rose again to save us from our sins and now has ascended to the right hand of the Father as we focused on last week. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Even in the creed, we can kind of pass over him. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church and the communion. We just went on. What does the Holy Spirit do? What I find interesting in the Nicene Creed, they even add a point that they're trying to say he's equal. He's worthy of worship just as the Father and the Son. Because even in the early church, I'm sure there were people that forgot him. I had explained to me before that he's kind of like the tech crew. He's behind the scenes and wants to shine the light on Christ. And while that is true, he also should not be forgotten. Jesus says the Spirit is an advocate. Someone who is there to to defend us, who is there to stand beside us and defend our case. He's there for our sake. And I would say that as we think about Christ and the church, there's this marriage between Christ and the church. And Ephesians will talk about this, that Christ is the groom and the church is his bride. And there's this connection between the two. But I would say the Holy Spirit is the vital link in that connection between bride and bridegroom. The Holy Spirit is what brings it together, this great mysterious union. And there's two ways to think of the Spirit, who the Spirit is and what his role is in this union. And it's by by thinking of the Spirit as gift. He is a gift. And then thinking about the Spirit as action. He's not a Spirit of inaction. He's not a, a complacent Spirit. He is a moving Spirit. He's alive and He's well. So we'll talk about those two things. First of all, the Spirit as gift. The Spirit is a gift. And that Spirit comes to us through this word and sacrament ministry of the church. The places that God gives to us His forgiveness his life. And it starts for, for the Christian life in the waters of baptism. We are promised in the waters of baptism that his word with the water through the spirit brings life to the believer. That baptism isn't just some nice thing we do to say, I believe. Baptism is literally God pouring the spirit into us, his children. And it's a spirit that brings life Paul talks about this all the time. That in baptism we're we're dead and then brought back to life. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says it is the Spirit who brings us life. And even in our creed we'll say the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. Through the waters of baptism we're brought into new life with Him, a new union with Him. This is what Jesus and Nicodemus are talking about in John 3. Jesus says you have to be born again of water and the Spirit. Spirit is flowing out. Even as he departs on ascension, he talks about his spirit coming into these disciples. John baptized you with water, he says, but soon you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And so the Spirit is this gift who's given to us in the waters of baptism, but then continues to be poured out to us in His Word. Every time we hear the Word, every time we read the Scriptures, every time we hear the Word preached, He is pouring that Spirit into our very hearts and our minds so we can understand His teachings and His Word to us of comfort and hope, of eternal life. And the Spirit doesn't reveal some new truth. Paul will warn us that we see an angel preaching a gospel contrary to what you received. It's evil. Run away. No, he reveals to us the promises of God that have always been. The Spirit is within us to open our hearts and our minds to the Scriptures, even now in this moment. I I found it comforting. I don't know if, if you're like me, but my mind likes to go everywhere. It doesn't stop. It doesn't slow down. It, and many times I listen to a sermon and I'm like two sentences in and I'm thinking about something else and then the pastor says, Amen. And I'm like, oops, like I just missed the whole thing. Well, I was listening to a teacher once and he, he was saying that he suffered from the same thing. I was like, yes, I'm not the only one. And he was saying, you know, he used to always feel guilty to get to the end of the sermon and he's feeling so guilty about, about where his mind wandered because sometimes he would start talking about something and he'd hear something. He's like, oh my goodness, that's something that I dealt with this week. And did I deal with it right? Or was I nice to the person? Or did I, did I mess it up? Or could I have done? And he would start thinking about these things and he'd get all worked up and the sermon would end and he'd be like, uh-oh, I don't know what the pastor said. And he said, I used to feel guilty. And then I thought to myself, maybe that's the Spirit working. Maybe. Maybe that's how the Spirit works in my heart, in my mind. And maybe that's how the Spirit works in your heart, in your mind. And I'm not saying you're sitting here thinking, did I turn the oven off this morning? Did I leave a window? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when, when you hear the Word of God. And it moves from, oh, that sounds nice, to how does this work in my life? That is the Spirit doing His work. The Spirit is constantly poured out in you through the word and sacrament ministry of the church that we receive even this morning here in this place. And then action. He's a Spirit of action. Uh, Galatians 5, Paul talked about live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit who is moving and breathing and, and he says, when you live by the Spirit, you bear fruit. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. This is how Jesus talks about when he says, when I am the vine and you are the branches, you are connected to Christ like a branch to a vine. And that comes through the Spirit. And that's done so you can bear fruit. And Jesus doesn't elaborate a whole lot on what bear fruit means. So Paul here breaks it out. Paul fleshes it out. Through the Spirit linked to Christ, our fruit should be beautiful and seen by the world. But what does that mean? What does it mean to have a Spirit-led life? What does it mean to have spiritual fruit pouring out of your life? What does it mean to be a Spirit-led church? Maybe you have images if I said that. What is a church that is really led by the Spirit? Lutherans have never been accused of this. We say, We sit with our hands folded and so pious and proper. (laughs) Now, if you think of a spirit-led church, maybe you think people raising their hands in song, and and maybe you think of these prayers that are just pouring out from the heart, and you think of people clapping, and maybe even those people who, when the preachers pray, and they just yell out, Amen! Amen! Or when there's a prayer going on, they're like, Mmm! Mmm! Speak it, preacher. Like, 
right? Yeah, maybe, no, yeah, okay, a couple nods. This is what we think about, or maybe, maybe you're like me and you picture the Blues Brothers and people like flipping down the aisles and everything else. The, the, the chaos of, of Pentecost might actually give some credence to that. It's a little crazy. It's a little intense and overwhelming. But the reality is there's that one event. There's that one event. But Paul gives us a slightly different view of a spirit-led church. And I'm not saying one against the other. We're not doing that. It's not one versus the other. But listen to what Paul says about a spirit-led church. He compares it to the desires of the flesh. We, we all have desire. At the end of the day, we all desire something. And do we take that desire and do we direct it towards our flesh? And when he says that, he doesn't just mean the body. He means our sinful nature, our, our selfish intentions, our self-serving attitudes. Do we take our desire and turn it to the flesh? Or do we take our desire and turn it towards God? Where do we go with it? Now, if we take it to our flesh or our sinful desire, that means taking it to anything not God. And what that does is it it makes an idol of whatever it is. We're making idols of things in this world. This happens anytime we try to seek happiness from some endless source of senseless entertainment instead of finding joy and happiness in God. This is any time we lust after someone, and by lust, uh, not just the physical or sexual attraction, but any time we see someone as an object to use for our own personal gain, instead of seeing them as the image of God and the dignity they hold because of that as his sons and daughters. Any time we, we self-medicate through food or through drink or even through companionship to try to cope with ourselves instead of turning to God for comfort. Anytime we neglect the Lord and time with Him. Anytime we neglect the time with Him here in worship or even in our homes through neglecting and reading the Scriptures as we make time for countless other things. Paul lays it out. The cost of doing all these things, the cost of following the flesh, is you don't inherit the kingdom of God. That's it. That's the cost. But to direct your desires in the Spirit, To have your desire focus on God instead of self-interest and self-preservation. Paul says means you're no longer under the law. Which is fascinating because we talk a lot as Lutherans about justification. We're under the law. God forgives us and frees us from the law. But when he says this, he says when you live in the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. And what Paul means by that is you're no longer under some legal obligation to the law because it becomes the very desire of your heart. Why do you come to church in the morning? Why did you come today? Why did you roll out of bed? For some of us, because we really want to be here. For others of us, and it's, let's just be honest, it's, I have to go. And that's, that's life. And we struggle with this and we, we, we wrestle with this. We do it because, oh, God wants me to do it and I don't want to get smoked by a lightning bolt today. God wants us to move away from that. And having it something we truly desire, so that it's not a chore, but something we enjoy and look forward to. And then we're no longer under the law because we no longer desire to break the law. We desire to be with Christ. And so Paul lays out the fruits of the Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit both bear fruit. One simply bears fruit of death and the other bears fruit of life. 
The, the desire directed towards our flesh uh, is like a Disney movie where they pull out the red shiny apple, it looks all pretty, and you take a bite and you die. That's it. And it slowly withers us away from the inside. And so, do we bear fruit of death or life? And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's interesting, with every fruit of the Spirit, you can see the opposite fruit. Instead of love, giving myself to another, it's lust, using others for my gain. Instead of joy, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We're supposed to have joy. And how many of us are cynical? The fruit of the Spirit is peace instead of worry. The fruit of the Spirit is patience instead of being so obsessed with rushing and busyness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness instead of being mean-hearted. The fruit of the Spirit is generosity instead of being selfish. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness instead of being distrustful. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness instead of being so harsh. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control instead of giving in to every impulse. And it's not some loud, over-the-top faith. It's a beautiful quiet faith that shows itself in so many ways. I think of Mary as the angel Gabriel came to her. When, when she, she's told you're going to be with child and you'll name him Jesus, she didn't go, okay, God, I guess I'll do it. She didn't say that. She said, Lord, be unto me as you will. No doubt she was scared and afraid, but she trusted the Lord. And it says this beautiful thing, and Mary does this a few times in the scripture. It says she pondered them in her heart. I love that phrase. She pondered them in her heart. Do we take the truths of God, the fruit of the Spirit, and ponder them in, her, in our hearts that like a seed freshly planted, it may grow and blossom into something beautiful? This is the process of sanctification. The reality is all these fruits and all their corollaries, we probably see ourselves on both sides and probably typically more towards the desires of the flesh. God came and died to save us from that. It's called justification, but then we talk about sanctification. This process of being made holy. God is working on our hearts and our minds every day so that we look more like Christ and less like me. He's making us holy. Quietly making us holy. I fear sometimes we buy into the lie of the world that if we just yell louder, they'll hear us. But the reality is it's just noise then. God doesn't speak to us in the rolling of thunder. God doesn't speak to us in the, in, into the shattering earthquake. God speaks to us in the quiet breeze passing by. And the Spirit is speaking even now. Are we listening? Are we faithfully receiving his gift as often as we can? And in doing so, are we bearing fruit? Let me ask you, when you think of your neighbors and your friends and even your families who who have long estranged themselves from the church, when you think of these people, if crisis comes into their life, are you the one they're going to turn to? Are you the one they're going to go to to find refuge? Do they know you well enough that when they are exhausted, playing by the rules of the world, when they're exhausted, living after the next desire of the flesh, when they're exhausted, they come to you to find refuge? Because that is what we're called to be. And they're not finding refuge in you. 
No, brothers and sisters. When they do that, they're actually finding refuge in Christ because when they see you, they see the Son. And that's what we are called to be. That is what we're called to do. That others may come to know Jesus as we have come to know and be loved by him. It is his victory, not our voices that speak loud in this world of death. And against all the noise, it is his victory, not our voices, that proclaim peace and patience and love and joy and so much more. Salvation. So today we spend a day remembering the Holy Spirit. We remember who the Holy Spirit is, a gift for us. And we remember what he does working in our hearts, a living, breathing word like a two-edged sword that pierces the heart and brings salvation. But in doing so, and reflecting and, and contemplating the Spirit upon us and in our lives, we're able to know who we are and what we have been called to do to bear fruit. To allow the blood of Jesus to nurture the seed of our heart to bear his fruit by the power of the Spirit. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, enter our hearts that we may be fruitful for your kingdom. Amen. We're going to take a moment here, and I'm actually going to ask.